The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. This week I'm broadcasting to you from Philly. My schedule has finally calmed down a little bit, so I've had some time to breathe and am finally catching up on lots of work from emails and responding to people that have been uh, asking me to teach and choreograph to uh, lots of other things. Um, I even have a few new things that are coming up uh, from a few opportunities to chat with other podcast hosts, which I'll be talking about hopefully in the next few podcasts, um, all the way into interesting and upcoming news involving a new app that's coming out, but I can't talk about that quite yet. There's a lot of exciting things happening, but no matter how busy I am, I am still devoted to bringing you guys some great content. If you remember from last week, I'm heading to South America on my honeymoon in a few weeks. So as I prepare for that, I want to throw together a flashcast or two so that I can get content out to you, but also enjoy my time together with my new husband uh, and without any interruptions. So. If you listened to last week's podcast, I mentioned this as well, but I'm planning to prep a Q&A flashcast for that time. So if you have any questions you'd like for me to answer about dance training or even personal questions, and these will be short, simple uh, questions, not uh, full length, uh, full podcast topics, but uh, you can ask me anything about dance training or even personal questions that I don't really mind at all. So feel free to reach out to me via my contact page on my website at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com on Facebook or on Twitter via the hashtag TalkingDance. Alrighty, on to this week's episode. <laughs> I hopped out of the shower this morning and caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. And this may seem like too too much information, but we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna just keep on going with it. But I, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I had a fleeting thought that I probably shouldn't have had as a confident, fit, thirty-two-year-old man. But it happened, <laughs> and I'm still a bit mad at myself for it. So pretty much as I passed into my bedroom to get dressed, I looked in the mirror and my mind <laughs> said to myself, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, it said Fatty Magoo, which is actually a joke that I've had with my husband for some time when I feel like I'm getting out of shape. Um, not that I, I am overweight or anything like that, but it's just kind of our joke that that's what I'm becoming. Um, and just as a side note, if you're a big It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan like I am, I actually came up with this before I saw it on on that TV show. It's one of my favorite shows, and when I saw that episode, I thought it was ironic that they had used that and I used that as well. But anyway, back on track. Now, the the thing to note here first is that I don't think I'm fat or anywhere close to overweight. Beyond that, as a man in our American culture, I'm almost ashamed that at times I feel ashamed of what I look like. 
But alas, I've grown up in the ballet world and weight is a constant conversation that comes up between dancers and non-dancers alike. I know that this is kind of a taboo topic to talk about in uh, an open public format like this, um, but this is the reason that I'm doing this podcast. So um, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we move on with this conversation. So I've always been quite confident about my looks and my body, and I still am. So it might seem contradictory that these thoughts pass through my mind. But I also have a a hint of body dysmorphia, which is when you have a misperception of what your true body actually looks like. Um, For instance, when you look in the mirror, what reality is, it might not. That might not be what you see. Um, But this body dysmorphia that I have has come on as the result of three different experiences that I can at least pinpoint um, that I've had throughout my training and my career. I was always a skinny kid. I ate whatever I wanted. And by the time I became an adult, I could drink whatever I wanted. And I generally didn't look at calories or, or count my calories. I went away from my first summer intensive at Houston Ballet Academy when I was 16 years old and I had a blast. But this is also when I first remember conversations about weight becoming a more common thread amongst my peers. They'd say things against the heavier students like, can you believe she even got into this program? I mean, look at her, um, or they'd say lay off the carbs, or even worse, they would look at a normal, per- or they would say that they look like a normal person, which <laughs> implied that they looked healthy for an average weight American. So that was more of an insult than you could imagine. But on the other hand, those who were tinier than everybody else would get, she looks like she's going to break, or something along those lines. Unless a dancer met in the perfect middle of this strict ideal, they could be a topic of conversation. As, and by they, I mean their, their weight was that topic of conversation. At first, talking about this seemed odd, but by the end of the summer, they were so normal to hear that I forgot that this was a ballet bubble conversation and not a real world one. The ballet world is full of tricky ideals when it comes to weight. It's an elite athletic art form, and art has aesthetic, so it makes sense that it should look a certain way. And since people are the art, unfortunately, their bodies do need to fit into that aesthetic. This can be difficult for the general population to understand. There are and will always be issues that surround dancers' weight and how these ideals are enforced, especially since the career is so young and these ideals are being enforced upon young, impressionable minds. But I see the misunderstandings of normal culture and parents of students who haven't yet learned that not everybody can be a dancer and how the idea of weight can become a major issue of contention. But... I want to get back to my story about body dysmorphia, and we can discuss uh, this more deeply later on in the podcast. So, while these conversations became more normal, this isn't one of the first events that bred my body dysmorphia. The first time came the next summer, actually. Back at home, my teachers and friends and family constantly told me that I was too skinny. And that was based off of the typical, again, American ideal of what a, a healthy weight is for a person. 
I was put on a regimen of gross powdery protein bars, chalky drinks that were the worst kind of milkshakes, and other foods that we probably thought were healthier than they actually were. Uh, and this was because my people around me thought that I needed to look stronger and more manly because I was going to be lifting women, and sometimes men, for a living. Um, but I went back to the same summer program that year and I felt really confident and looking all bulked up and I thought that I looked more manly than the summer before and that uh, I would get lots of positive attention for having toned my body. That confidence was quickly ripped away from me when an instructor stopped class to ask why I looked so heavy. I stopped and suggested that perhaps I wasn't lifting enough in my jumps. Uh, the only thing was, they weren't talking about the look of my dancing. They couldn't say what they wanted to directly because of legal reasons, but they have found a way to get their point across. I was told in front of my peers that maybe I'd jump less heavy if I laid off the potato chips. <laughs> it still makes me laugh today, but it, it, was, a, it was a part of my, my training. Now, the situation may turn some people off, but I actually see this as a valuable moment in my career. The teacher was right, and most of those outside the professional dance population will likely disagree. I hope that you're not up in alarms by me talking about this, but I was on track to put my body in a place that didn't fit into the aesthetic that is sought by a major ballet company. And whether it was right for my psyche or not, or right for my body or not, this is what ballet companies were looking for. So I was getting proper professional advice. Uh, maybe not delivered the best way, but I was getting advice that was appropriate for how I looked. Like I said, maybe the approach could have been different, different, but this was 2001 and the dance world was only beginning to address healthier ways to address students' health. I accomplished thinning out lengthening my muscles out over the next few years as I transitioned from student to professional. And I did it in a healthy way, with uh, just changing my diet to a leaner diet and stretching a lot. Um, and I was really proud of this tool that I had cultivated to work at an extremely high level of athleticism. Still, I would visit home or anywhere outside of my ballet bubble into the normal world, and people would ask me if I developed an eating disorder, which was confusing to me because I knew what hard work I was putting in inside and outside of the studio. And instead of doing some research on what a healthy dancer looks like, or even asking me about what that norm was, they just assumed that I was starving myself. Especially, I think, because my, my muscles were leaner. I think that that, that length and that lean look uh, made my entire body look different. So, the reality of a healthy image was now being skewed in the opposite direction. I was told I was too heavy for ballet, and then I was told that I was too skinny for the, new, for the, normal, the normal world. There was no appeasing both populations, and I had to choose on my own which way I wanted to look, and which way made me feel good about myself while maintaining a healthy approach. All seemed good as I progressed in my career until my last season with Pacific Northwest Ballet. This was nine years after that summer program comment. We were dancing Jerome Robbins' amazing glass pieces, <laughs> uh, which has an amazing, amazing, amazing section for the core, uh, the core de ballet, the big group of the ballet. At the end, the last movement, there's three movements, and the last movement was just this steadily building 
dance that started with six men and added six men and grew to 12 women and it was just really incredible but anyway i'm getting off track i could talk about that forever but a stager from new york city ballet came in to set the work on the company I had become injured during the process, which had kept me out of the studio. Um, it was an injury to the front of my ankle. It was pretty minor, but it was enough to keep me out for a period of time. Um, so I had enough time to heal and perform the ballet when the program actually came up about a month later. On stage after running the ballet and dress rehearsal, the stager, who, just a side note, had been upset that I had to deal with some union issues that he had caused because I was the union uh, delegate for the company, he decided to take out his frustration on me because he knew that I was the person responsible for reporting any issues that we had in the studio to the director. Um, and he did this by doing everything he could to make me feel bad about my body without directly addressing the issue. I had gained a bit of weight since I hadn't been dancing, um, and I had also just taken uh, my birthright trip to Israel, which is a free uh, trip for anybody that identifies as Jewish between 18 and 26. Um, so I had just come back from a 10-day vacation to Israel, and I hadn't been dancing. So like I said, I would gained a bit of weight. And I was in the process of taking it off, which if anybody ever thinks that they are a, a bit overweight, it should be a process to get that weight off. It shouldn't be an unhealthy quick drop. Um, but instead of asking the leader of our company to talk to me, he talked to me through multiple sections of the work and claimed I was always behind the music. Uh, he would say I was lagging behind or not jumping as high as anybody else uh, around us. And he would claim that I was jumping too heavy and my timing was too heavy. Uh, the final comment that he gave me was, got it? I need you to stop being so heavy. So I, I knew I was not at my ideal weight and for good reason, but he insisted on making a big deal out of the issue. This was the only time that I ever cried after leaving the theater. Not because I was hurt by his comment, but I was just really frustrated that I felt he had taken out his own issues on me in an unprofessional matter. Um, but that was a personal situation for me. And I, I really feel that this situation ignited a great deal of my body image challenges, but it took time for it to manifest. While I was healthy about it, within six months, I was down to my lowest adult weight. Uh, and my coworker <laughs> pulled me aside in a rehearsal for Puck during a Midsummer's Night Dream. And he goes, you are bone, which implied that I was bone thin. Uh, and after I gave him an odd look, he, he looked back at me and goes, no, it looks great. I can see your collarbones. Little did, I, did anybody know that at this time I was in the process of auditioning for new companies. I hadn't told anybody that I was leaving Pacific Northwest Ballet at the time. And I wasn't taking any weekends off and I was rehearsing all week. Um, and I was a bit depressed because I was, I was ready to get out of the company. So there were reasons that I was as thin as I was, but I got some positive re reinforcement for the way that I looked. So from there, with that positive reinforcement, I had a new standard to withhold. I had peer approval, I could see my eight pack <laughs> of my abs, I had little divots in my cheek, and I felt confident heading to audition for those companies uh, that I was auditioning for. I felt that I looked good. I was able to maintain this body for a solid two years, but I began to gain a few pounds as my freelance career took off. As a freelancer, it can be more difficult to maintain your ideal shape because when you aren't rehearsing, you're often only taking class and going to the gym. Or when I would head to a new gig, it would take time to find a gym and the proper grocery stores to purchase uh, 
the food that I was used to having at home to stay at a healthy body weight. So it was becoming more difficult to maintain my body. Freelancing really threw my dysmorphia out of whack because I was constantly struggling to maintain the ideal I had experienced while dancing seven and a half hours a day and having that easy access to a gym and returning to the same apartment and the same food situation daily. Now, I know this is going to sound vain and shallow, but as a thin, fit person who stares in the mirror constantly as a part of their work, it can be a lot easier to notice minor changes in your body and weight. I don't generally weigh myself, but if I start to notice I can see the definition of my abs uh, disappearing because they're covered by a layer of fat, I know that I'm falling away from my ideal. I'm not saying that, I'm, that, that I would say that I am fat, it's a layer of fat there. This started to happen back and forth throughout uh, my four years of solid freelancing. I'd have a gig, I'd look in the mirror after taking a shower or getting dressed and I'd see my abs. And then I'd have a few weeks between a gig and then they'd disappear. Not that I had a belly, but this was my standard. And while I was aware of this, it didn't really stress me out because it just didn't really make me think badly about myself. I just think awareness is the first key and now I can address it. But upon arriving at one of my gigs in 2013, I befriended a dancer who was dating a former dancer. And this former dancer had been watching class um, and almost immediately after class had finished, he walked up to me to say hi. But then, I don't know why, and out of nowhere, he poked me in my stomach with his finger and said, looking soft these days, aren't you? And he giggled, and I looked at him, and I wasn't really sure if he was joking or not. But ever since that moment, I've been overly aware of every single pound that I gain, and I find myself jokingly, but negatively criticizing myself anytime I pass a mirror and don't feel like I'm at my perfect weight, which always being at a, in a perfect place is, is impossible. Bodies fluctuate and it's, it's not the best way to go about those things, but that's what I find myself doing. I think this is an important conversation to have because, like I said before, I'm a fit, athletic, confident man in my 30s, which may seem contradictory for someone dealing with issues like body dysmorphia. The dance world can sometimes feel obsessed with weight, but the normal world is almost more obsessed with our obsession with the search for our own individual perfect body, and a lot of false information is bred through the disconnect between these two worlds. First and foremost, it is rare for a professional dancer to have any major eating disorder. It is impossible to maintain a career while performing such acts upon one's body. Sometimes students develop eating disorders in an attempt to force their bodies into the difficult uh, to achieve and outside of natural genetics aesthetic, but they most often end up falling short of having a career and failing in the survival of the fittest training that precedes a dance career. It is also common for pressure about weight to come from multiple directions and not just a fat shaming artistic director. But more important to this conversation is that a lot of this pressure to find our own perfect body comes from the history of our art form, our own self-driven ideals, and the pressure of our peers. I felt confident even after my teacher alluded to me that I needed to thin out. I listened to what he had to say, I, I assessed whether what he said was true or not, and then I addressed the issue. After that, I still felt generally confident after getting brazenly beat down by the New York City Ballet stager at Pacific Northwest Ballet. 
but it was actually the act and words of a peer that affected me most in my ability to trust my own self-confidence and judgment. Maybe that's because I'm more affected by those around me, or maybe not, but there's just something about a peer taking it upon themselves to judge your physicality uh, and to verbalize it, and it just becomes more realistic. Which is funny because going back to the beginning of this conversation, the first place I really noticed these weight conversations was from my peers at my first summer intensive. So now here we are, full circle. I do believe that the ballet world has taken some really positive strides in combating the development of dancers with skewed ideas about how to achieve their idea of their own perfect body, even if their ideal is not ideal. But the challenge here is that there are often uneducated outsiders, especially parents, that try to step into the profession and proclaim that they know why certain systems aren't working or that they need to change because their child needs to have a career, even if their kid doesn't fit into a ballet aesthetic. I do think that organizations want healthy dancers, but struggle with an ideal that is difficult to obtain and maintain by the general population. And as our world finds its way to create dancers who fit into an aesthetic, but also have a healthy mindset about their bodies, it is going to come with struggle, failure, and challenge. Kind of like parenting. Moms and dads often do the best they can to be the best parents possible. And if they encounter the same issue with each of their children and approach the issue in the same way, one child may understand and move on learning their lesson, one child may not understand but move on, and one child may consider this one of the most traumatizing experiences of their childhood. So these programs that are being put in place for dancers' health need to be individualized and not generalized for our population. Beyond this, I really do think that the important step in helping dancers from developing eating issues or body dysmorphia needs to start as early in a dancer's training as possible. And I've talked about emotional health before in podcasts, and I think that there needs to be emotional health, uh, sorry, emotional training in, uh, in a ballet program and in educational ballet programs. And there needs to be a conversation about how not everybody can fit into an aesthetic, uh, no matter how hard they try. We can all dream to become a ballet dancer, but if your body just isn't right for the art form, there are still ways to have a dance career, but there, there are just some realities that need to be told that sometimes it just doesn't work out. A healthy image comes from a healthy outlook with tools to help one achieve their healthy ideal, even if that means turning one's aspirations for a dance career towards aspirations for fitness and movement with the possibility of breaking the mold and having that unexpected career. I know this has been a touchy subject, but I'm hoping it will feel less shameful and promote understanding and influence uh, to seek better ways to approach dealing with weight issues outside of shaming those who are overweight or even underweight. While I still struggle with body dysmorphia, I don't let it feed into dangerous or unhealthy behaviors. I try to assess my reality based on how I feel versus how I look. And I think that's the best way to go about it. So, with all of this said, I hope that you have a wonderful weekend, because I think that this chat is over. <laughs> Remember, if there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycarollis.com. That's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique, choreography, or speaking engagement. 
I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B Corollas, or Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B Corollas, featuring my choreography and choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk, dance with me, and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.